0: Hey everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I cannot wait for you to hear today's interview with documentary photographer, Bobby Barberich. She has been doing documentary photography for a long time and I think you're going to really love her approach and how she kind of came to finding her unique voice and her photography. We're so glad that you keep tuning in, listening to all these stories, interviews, and coaching episodes. It really does mean so much that you just keep coming back and tuning in. I know I have definitely been on a podcast myself and I run through them so quickly and I'm always looking for the next podcast that's going to inspire me or motivate me or keep me feeling like I'm not alone while I'm editing or working on stuff or just kind of like doing my hot girl walk during the morning. So if you're like me and you're always looking for that next podcast to add to your playlist, let me introduce you to my friend's podcast Workflows. Scott Wyden-Kivowitz interviews so many amazing photographers on their workflows, the stories of how they built their business, what really sets them apart. Part and what they're passionate about. It's presented by Imagine, who is so passionate about helping photographers save time and money through their workflows. So make sure you check out the podcast. He has so many great interviews, and I always come away feeling inspired. While you're at it, we put together a really fun freebie to go along with this partnership because we have found that when you start outsourcing and you start automating things through your workflows, you can bring in so much more money to your business and it can be so good for you as a person and as an artist. And so we have a freebie that is five ways to make more money in your photography business by outsourcing your editing. So make sure you check out the link in the show notes. We have that freebie and you can test out Imagine for free and check out Scott's podcast workflows, which I think you will find so encouraging and inspiring as you really dive into some of the stories of these amazing photographers Well, hey and welcome back to the dangerous creatives podcast I'm your host Kristen Sweeting. I'm so excited. My friend Bobby Barberich is here today She's an amazing photographer. She's based outside of Vancouver and British Columbia She is just crushing the game and also is the host of the Tilt and Shift Photography Podcast, which you have to go and listen to. It's amazing. And we're going to talk about a lot of things today, including a whole journey to confidence and what that's looked like in her business and moving into coaching and all the different things. So, Bobby, we're so excited to have you here today.
1: I am utterly thrilled to be here, Kristen. (laughs) To put it mildly.
0: Oh, well, the honor <laughs> is mine. So if you can introduce yourself a little bit more to, to our friends here, um, how, how did your journey to photography start? And, you know, tell us some stuff that you do. What type of photography? All of that.
1: Okay. Do you want, like, the heartfelt, like, soul-searching journey or do you want, like, the Cole's notes of the type of photographer that i became
0: Mm. do the first one (laughs) (laughs) so So
1: i am one of those people who knew they wanted to be a photographer when they were pretty young i don't think i really knew how to verbalize it but i remember looking at canadian geographic magazines and being like this i want to do this um
0: Wait, there's Canadian Geographic magazines. Kind of like National. There's Canadian
1: Geographic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know this. It's like National Geographic, but only for Canada.
1: Only for Canada. We can be pretty exclusive sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but we're really nice about it and we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but we welcome, you know, if you want to come to Canada, you can come. That's fine. Aww, you're so nice. <laughs> um, but then like and then I go into it a little bit about this in my the first episode of my podcast. It's funny that you asked this, but um, some stuff happened that made me believe that being a photographer was not a, a valid uh, career or option, even like that. My life was going to be really hard, and I would be wouldn't be able to do it, and it was kind of a silly thing to want. Um, And I also grew up kind of before the internet was really infused into everything. And I lived in a tiny, 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 I lived 12 miles outside of the smallest town in the northernmost part of the province, like I was really isolated. Um, And so I didn't know what my options were. And so I kind of started on this career path that was um, dictated by expectations, whether they were overt, or I just sort of assumed that that's what other people wanted. Uh, and I was struggling with a lot of mental health issues. But this idea of being a storyteller was would continually come back at me constantly. And I would be doing I would be writing and photographing things like outside of my my job um and my career, like I was in academia. And then I finally just, blew it all up and left (laughs) the city I was living in like I got a divorce I quit my like high-paying academic job and I moved to a little city in the mountains and just full-on pursued being a photographer like I moved here with the intention and I'd never done that in my life like deliberately chosen what I wanted to do
0: I was gonna going say, to say, that's like, it, you know, it, when you hear it, if someone's saying it in a story, you're like, oh my gosh, and they just moved in the mountains and great, this is awesome. They chose to be a photographer, but like, that's a huge deal. You like up and did multiple things in your life. What kind of gave you the courage to choose that?
1: Um, I think it was, it was exhaustion of not doing what I wanted to do of this constant voice of being like, this isn't it. You just hit a
0: point where you got fed up and you're like, none of this feels right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I finally like that. I had a realization one day of like, I don't have to be here. Like it was like someone finally tapped me on the shoulder and they're like, you don't have to do this. And I was like, what? And they've been saying it for a long time, but you know, like sometimes it eventually just like permeates the fog and and the only way out is through and you're like, okay, I'm I'm just going to do this because if I don't do it now, I can't imagine being here in a year, you right. know, like where the the option of staying was more painful than the fear of going.
0: Totally. Totally. I think a lot of people can eventually relate to that moment where you kind of have this light bulb moment where you're like, I'm actually not good. And these choices somehow I ended mm-hmm. up here. And I actually have a choice out of this if I want. Cause I do think a lot of us think we don't have choices in where we are. And a lot yeah, I really,
1: and it absolutely, I think that, I think that was the, the pinnacle moment of me realizing that I had a choice. Cause it doesn't feel like you have a choice. Right. It really doesn't. Like when I looked at the books, when I looked at the relationship that I was in, when I looked at my family, when I looked at all of the, all of the things, it didn't, it didn't look like I had a choice, but yeah. it did.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you made all those scary choices, moved to the mountains. What happened next?
1: Uh, I was cashier at a grocery store
0: <laughs> for a while. <laughs> I feel like you learn a lot in in those situations too. <laughs> it was a
1: fascinating psychological experiment because you would have – like I would see hundreds of people a day and there would be a vibe for the day.
0: Like, Mm -hmm. everybody
1: would be pissed off about the price of dried papaya. But we knew that it was deeper than this.
0: You're like, how is everyone on the same cycle somehow?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really – and I live in a really, like, a super, like, woo-woo hippie town, like, in the middle of the mountains. Like, it's – people say it's one of the shockers of the earth. Um, And there is some energy here, and there are, like, really crazy mixes of, like – like libertarians and draft dodgers and uh like spiritual quest people. And yeah, there's this <laughs> it's this interesting like tornado of spirituality. And and I worked in like the co-op store, which was like the it's the most successful co-op store in Canada because of where it, <laughs> where it is. That's and so amazing. you get these really like divergent ideas of how much papaya should cost. And you're the brunt of that you know like you're sort of getting all of it and and i started to realize like hmm like this is we're all sort of feeling the same thing on different days it 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 was it was fitting living where i live that i would have this realization (laughs) that we're all connected to some greater like energy force or whatever um but yeah working i so i worked as a cashier i was making like i don't know like 700 a month which was like i don't know i a fifth of what I had been making prior. A fifth, that doesn't sound like very much. It was way less. Like we couldn't, I couldn't even, I couldn't even buy bread. And thank God I was working at a grocery store because I would like take the comp, like this food that was like set to go on the compost. They would let the staff be like, okay, you can take this. And it wasn't like, it was just like, you can't sell it because it's a little bit wilty or whatever. And people are really precious about the color of their tomatoes. So I would like, just. That's what we, I really lived on that for a long time. And I went into like 40 grand of debt, just doing that for like eight months while I shot for free. I was just shooting everything for free and I sucked. I was so bad at it. I didn't know what
0: I was doing. <laughs> like, I know I want to be a photographer. I don't know anything about cameras, but here I am. Can't look like this. <laughs> this can't be what it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So you were shooting for free. When did it start tipping? or did it ever? Like, did you have to dramatically quit that job? Did you slowly build up your clientele? What was that process like?
1: Yeah, well, I was still I was still working as um a freelance writer for an adventure magazine in Edmonton, like where I had moved from. So I was still doing work for them. There were still bits of money coming in, and I was traveling all over like the Pacific Northwest, uh, writing stories and shooting some of them because they needed they needed photographs of my escapades. So that's where the photography started to come back in. Um, I knew I wanted to be a photographer, but I just didn't know how to make it happen. And then it started seeping into this other thing that I was, this other creative outlet that I was doing. And then I I was like, well, I'm good enough. Someone asked me, inevitably, someone asked me to shoot their wedding. I feel like this is the first chapter of many of our stories, or like chapter three. Someone asked us to shoot their wedding.
0: Someone's like, "Why not you? We're trying to save money, and you so have a many camera, right? not
1: me." <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for asking. And I think it was like seven hundred dollars or something, which felt like a huge, huge amount. Yeah. Um, and and it was at the time for sure. Like that's how much I was making in a month.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, yes.
1: Yeah. And, and then it and then it started building from there and I, I started um taking um I, I did invest in coaching like in some coaching or and then I ended up getting a slightly better job like I kind of backtracked a little bit and realized I couldn't continue going into debt like this and I got a job in related to my previous academic field which is nutrition so I worked at, started working as a dietitian again and so that really bolstered um that learning phase of me being able to like take, some courses, but I was just working to be able to fund my education as a photographer.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's skip ahead now. What are you doing now? What kind of photography are you doing? What's life look like? Life is really wonderful.
1: I have two dogs. Their names are Harlan and Linda. We start each day together walking through the forest.
0: (laughs) She's so cute too. You need to follow her on Instagram because I just want to be on a woodland walk every day when you're in the woods. (laughs) That's
1: so good. but i mentioned that because it's such an important way to st- how we start our days is how our days will go. And so if you like choose, you make the time, if you if you if you have the space to do this, if you can make the time, find the time somehow, some element of time to put gratitude and joy into your life, if that's how you want your your day to be. That's how you have to intentionally start it. And my dogs always bring that for me like there is never a day where I where they don't make me smile like there's never a emotion that I'm experiencing that they can't kind of bring to light something else something that I feel more aligned with so I start the day with them and then I can come back into my office and I am a documentary wedding and family photographer So what that means is that I virtually never pose anybody ever and I'm telling their story. It's not about moments. It is about their story. And I think as photographers, we really get caught up in like the moment and everything is a moment, but does it tell a story? And so I'm I'm really, really super fascinated and curious with humans. (laughs) humans are fascinating like how we communicate our emotions how we communicate connection how we how we express our personalities so in my work I'm always looking for those split seconds where everything aligns like in the background and on their faces and in their hands that tells you exactly who that person is and what they value I clench my teeth a lot because I'm always waiting (laughs) for the person in the background to do something that's going to compliment what's happening in the
0: foreground. (laughs) Yes. It is such an art. And I don't think people understand because you're working with layers. And I think a lot of photographers work very much in kind of the subject and then the blurred background. And a documentary photographer has to think about their subject and all the layers behind them and how they all play together. And yeah, it's like timing, and it's watching, and it's storytelling, and um, yeah, it's an art. And I also think it takes like a really intuitive, empathetic person too, which you definitely are as well. Mm-hmm. I totally, totally agree. And I didn't really
1: get good at it. I was always really drawn to it because of the like the journalism in- interest that I had always had. Um, and those are the those are the photos you see. Are these like? You look in an image, and there's often, I call them Easter eggs, and you can see all the other things that are happening that are contributing to the story. And if it's a really good image, everything else that's happening amplifies what the main subject is experiencing. And so when I've set myself up for what I think is going to happen, that's where you turn on the empathy and the intuition because I'm like, okay, I think, and the trust is like, I'm going to be here because I think. This person is going to come from that angle. The dog is going to stand on its hind legs. This person is going to like throw their head back in laughter or whatever. So that you can all of these different things are converging in on the the, your thesis. (laughs) And then there's all the supporting points around it, you know?
0: I love thinking about it scientifically like that. And I wonder when you look back to that time when you were working in the grocery store and you were noticing patterns and you were like, oh, that person came in upset. I bet there's a vibe today. Like, have you always kind of noticed patterns? Do you see that being something that, that led to how you photograph now? Um, Oh, that is a really good question.
1: I don't know if I've always acknowledged that I noticed it because earlier in my life, There's lots of numbing and dissociation, and an absolute like shutting off of all um, managing my own energy was enough, much less everyone else's and I think that's why. Maybe that's part of why I am so drawn to it and so proficient at it now is because I know what I I see now what I missed out on for a really long time. Um, I'll share one story that really helped me to see so I am I don't have kids Uh, it did never worked out for us but I am so fascinated by like the family unit and for me a wedding is the same thing it's just someone's some people are wearing some really nice clothes it's still family photography and and that's how I approach it like I approach it like there's just like this really fun ceremony that's going to happen in the rest of the time is like it's all it's all it's just about family but I was working as a dietitian. Um, I worked in the eating disorders unit for a really long time. That's was the majority of what my career was. And I love saying that in the past tense, side note. I love saying that is past tense, <laughs> but there was this one day where I was, I was, I was trying to build up this photography business and not really understanding why I loathed lifestyle photography, Lo- loathe it from how I was doing it. Like I couldn't do it. I felt so like impotent when I went in and like trying to tell these people what to do and like fabricating something that I wasn't seeing or feeling with them. Um but I didn't I didn't I hadn't learned about documentary family photography before I hadn't thought of it. Like I was still trying to do what everybody else was doing. Um and I walked into uh this teenager's hospital room and she was sitting in the bed and she was reading a magazine or something and her i think she's probably like 16 15 or 16 and her mom was in the bed with her with their arm around her and they were cuddling and talking and like having a really nice time together and i dropped my chart like the scene just shocked me for lots of reasons like that's not an experience i had ever had and i didn't really think it just it just surprised me that teenagers and parents could be so close. Yeah. (laughs) And then, so I walked out of the room and my first response was like, oh, that's fucked up. (laughs) Like, like there was some sort of protective thing in me being like, that's wrong. Like that is, people shouldn't be doing that at that age or whatever. And then I took another step and I was like, nope, I'm the problem. Like, it's a problem that I think that. And that was this huge, like, bell went off in my head. And then the next, like, family photography session that I went into, I was, like, a laser beam, like, focusing. Like, because I think previously I was sort of trying to avoid those really kind of emotional, like, deep emotional connections that families and kids can have, because I hadn't really experienced that in the, in those ways. And, and so hurt. then seeing it, it hurt, it hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just so, I just didn't understand. I didn't understand until I saw that and then realized that's what I'm missing. And so then I started seeking it out in my sessions and everything really shifted because I figured out that I had to let these people do their thing. And I was there to witness it for them.
0: That's so interesting. Like noticing your own, Editing behavior of like oh maybe I was editing the mm. way that this family was interacting by how I thought they should be photographed right
1: totally yeah yeah I love thinking of it like that as as editing I was absolutely editing and now I don't do that at all like I when I go into a session I don't expect anything nothing because not everybody's going to be cozy like that not everybody like we all express our relationships in different ways. And and now I'm just really open and appreciative and fascinated by it. Like, how are they going to do this? And so, like, you look for little gestures and little and people repeat things, right? And it's really, it's really cool to see how, how like, okay, I noticed that, but I missed it. I'm just going to create a space where that can happen again, and then you can be in like a better position, literally and metaphorically, like with the light and the lines and all of that, and thinking of like waiting for that to happen again.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah, I I can see how easy it can be as the artist, as the photographer to be like, this person needs to move here or they need to act more like they like each other. And I think like our society has us thinking that, you know, photos have to be happy. And that's why family photos feel so draining sometimes because they're like, why aren't you smiling? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And like, why did we decide that was the best emotion to have? And so I see that through line for you too, is it's as you started opening up to more of your own feelings, your art got better too. Because I, I do think it's really, really easy to dissociate. And I wanted to ask you about that too in just a second, but like to just put up this wall and to numb our feelings and to not really feel them. Because the way we've been told we need to operate in society is kind of this, like, this blank version of ourselves, right? That, like, we're acceptable if we're happy. These other things aren't, you know?
1: Yeah, we're not allowed to feel these things or at least share them, you know? Certainly not in a photograph. And so I feel like that is, like, my life legacy. That's what I want to leave this earth, knowing that I worked – I impacted people, with and that's why i want to coach as well as i want other photographers to feel this um freedom and responsibility in terms of we are creating we are gathering these stories for our clients and if we are telling them what they should do that's a very different experience than us being there to document who they are
0: yeah Cause how many spaces are you just accepted for who you are and not kind of projected onto, (laughs) you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I want to come back to the dissociation and the numbing. Cause I think for, um, for people that haven't quite jumped into working through that yet, Mm -hmm. it's not, there's not even an awareness that that's happening. Um, what can you like, kind of dig into that a little bit? Like, what does that look like when someone – and I know it could be different for everybody, but like when someone's numbing, when someone's dissociating, what are some like things that people do or ways of operating that, you know, you know, maybe we're not even aware that we're doing?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. The, the thing that I started to notice is where I would quickly jump to a judgment because judgment protects protects us, right? Like if I say, "Oh, that's dumb." I'm immediately writing it off and therefore I don't have to feel it. So when I started to notice how bitter <laughs> I was about pretty much like anything that got anywhere near my feelings or something I didn't want to feel because that's what like in term like what I went through as a kid, I really had to be very careful with what I felt because there were lots of times when it just wasn't safe to feel things. And so you learn to skill. it's a coping mechanism, and it's very helpful to be able to survive stuff like that. And you, so you get very careful about curing your feelings, but you can tell, like, eventually I started to be able to tell where where I might be missing out on something. And that I noticed that, like, I don't want to be someone who immediately writes someone off because I'm not experiencing the same thing. And so I started to become curious about rather than being, rather than thinking that I was right, or being kind of righteous in a situation, being like, hmm, okay, maybe this is something where I can learn something. I also was in somatic therapy for a couple of years, and that was revolutionary. That really changed everything because I started to um, physically feel the feeling before I could emotionally register it. So, like, for me, certain certain feelings will like resonate, like in my under my sternum or like in my throat or in my ears. So then I could come kind of like cerebral, be like, okay, my ears are ringing, that's anger. Okay, why am I angry? And then I could look at it from curiosity, being like, okay, what has angered me about this? And then, and then you could start answering those questions, and you can just be again being curious or coming to things from a place of curiosity is is really healing in many ways and it's really helpful in a business because if you're just curious rather than being judgmental if you're curious i'm like hmm, okay why didn't that work versus being like i suck that didn't work on blah 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 like totally different mindsets right whereas if i'm like hmm what can i learn from this versus like i'm never doing that again like
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was so horrible that hurt that didn't feel good to put myself out there that way and for it to not work yeah yeah working on the curiosity is, is so key in growing a business. And, and I think in photography and art too, because there's a lot of things people are trying to tell us that they don't have the words to say. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think it's such a gift to be able to meet someone in that place um, when you, when you can like be really open around it.
1: Yeah. I think, and you're super good at that as like you are really excellent at this, Kristen, like giving, just being, um, it it comes through in like how we breathe with other people and how we mirror their like their language and their actions. So when you're in a room with a family or in your room with a couple and they're nervous, um, you being the source of their relaxation rather than being the person who's directing them to do something that they might not be ready to do, meeting them where they're at, seeing where they're at first of all, like not having, for me, I never go into anything with an expectation. Like the people who prepare their poses and stuff going into a a session, like I'm the absolute opposite of that. I don't prepare anything. I just know where we're shooting and I know what the schedule is and it's so freeing. Like, I'm just gonna go in and like see what happens. You know, it, like, cause I'm just curious. And it always works out because they like, also my clients are very clear. Like they understand how I work too. Like they, they, that's why they've come to me is because they don't want to be directed. Right. And I don't want to direct them. So like, that
0: just- That works out great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is perfect. It hasn't always been like that though.
0: Okay, Kristen, so you've been working coaching creatives for years now, and I'm sure they come to you with
1: like all sorts of struggles that they're having as far as, you know, moving their business forward. Blogging seems to always come up. I'm curious what you give as far as tips, what you use for blogging, and if there's any way that you've found to like make it a little easier to sit down and get that done.
0: Totally. Blogs can be super huge for SEO and also through Pinterest or different ways that people can find you. So, I always say first, like, think about what your ideal client would be Googling. And so, if you can create a blog about venues you love, or locations you love, or tips, or um, destinations that you love, anything like that, that they might be Googling is huge for SEO content for your blog and can help more of your ideal clients find you. Also, be blogging your work because I think people want to see what you're up to recently. Trends are changing constantly. They're looking for fresh inspiration. And so we have been loving when our clients use PickTime time because they can really easily pull a blog right from their gallery, curate it to exactly what they want, copy the code, paste it in their blog. I've been doing this with mine too. And it just makes it go so quickly. I can just build it into the end of my workflow. Once I deliver a gallery, I can make my submissions for different, you know, magazines and blogs that way. And I can also blog on my own page. And it just makes it so quick and easy to be able to do it all in that same interface there. So I've really been loving that. And those are two of the main ways that we've seen blogs really help photography businesses. So if you haven't tried pick time yet, highly recommend they are a lovely partner of this show. And they've given us a code for first time users, dangerous creatives, you can get a free month Um, of their software. So definitely recommend testing it out and seeing if it's worth the switch for you. How, um, I know you're moving more into coaching and I always, I always think it's so interesting that a lot of teachers, healers, therapists get into photography and then use that as a way to help people, to teach people, to heal people. And so a lot of people, when once their business is growing, or not a lot, but like these these people that, I'll, you know, we're, I'm friends with, because this is me too, I was a teacher. <laughs> um, they, you know, start coaching out of this, like, you know, love and abundance and I want to help other people create this too. Is that kind of how your transition has been as well? And what has it been like moving into coaching other photographers?
1: Yeah, I think I have always been, I've always kind of leaned towards coaching, like I've played a lot of sports, and I always ended up coaching the sport. Um, And I, I worked in like the therapeutic realm. And so there's that angle that happened for me, I think it's, it's something that just comes naturally to me, because probably the hardships that I've gone through, I really believe that we come into the world with a gift. And we go through trials that give us the skills to use that gift. And then at a point in our life it's time for us to give it away because those those trials have been other people helping you right and so now I'm at a stage in my life where I want to really want to pay it forward because there have been so many people that have helped me get to where I am and I'm just eternally grateful for them and the only way to really thank them is to is to help others who also need that help you know
0: that's really beautiful. Yeah. And I know you've done some camps as well. Could you tell us more about um the work that you've done with teenage girls and also um you know the the nugget that you've carried through that you really want all photographers and all creatives to experience.
1: Ooh, the nugget. In 2019, I was really really vibing with my work as a documentary photographer. And I was like, yeah, this is what I am. Like this, these I put on, finally put on a pair of pants that felt amazing. And I wanted to do, I was working with a mentor, Kristen, uh, Kristen Lewis. She, uh, we were, were doing personal projects. So I, jo- I worked with her for six months to refine a personal project. And I think that's really important for photographers to have a personal project. We can maybe talk about that later um and so i had so for me my teens were exceptionally challenging and so i'm always kind of drawn to that age group i love teenagers they're freaking weird there's so much shit happening
0: <laughs> but like too. the
1: world i love is, it <laughs> yeah the world is just bursting open right and there's so much gross beauty that's happening and i just i love it um and i was I was coaching CrossFit at a gym, and there were a couple of teens in there that were killing it. And I was doing this personal project, and I was like, why don't I just tell your guys a story for a year? And so I followed them for a year, and it was amazing. Like, I got to go to their competitions and like see them grow and like see them eat mass amounts of food and like be really rude to their parents but they'll also like cry in their arms and like make out on couches with their boyfriends like it was really fun and (laughs) I'm like why there's got to be more of this you know like how do I tap into this because I felt like I was kind of really hitting a niche (laughs) I didn't see it as a niche for my business yet it became one but at that point um Again, scrolling. I was just sitting on my front porch with my dog. I was scrolling Instagram, and this thing called Girl in the Wild came up, and I was like, "Huh, what is this?" And it, they are. It's a nonprofit organization. They take teens who identify as girls out into the wild. We do an adventure camp with them, and there's this curriculum that we follow that is all about uh, creating confidence, building self-esteem dealing with fears, dealing with feelings of uh, like loss and insecurity. And it's, it's a confidence boosting adventure camp.
0: That's amazing. I need to go to that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is the thing. That's the thing, Kristen, is this is actually what you and I've been talking a bit about is creating a retreat that is kind of modeled after this. And, and I'm going to do, I haven't quite created it yet. It's in the works. And part of the proceeds will go to Girl in the Wild. Um, But seeing the the metamorphosis that these teens would go through just by doing not only like scrambling on rocks and doing things that physically kind of scared them, but it's all a metaphor for what they were going through in the curriculum. Um, And so that inspired me to create my that was the original spark of inspiration to create my coaching course, which we dive really deeply into things that scare us and in doing so the intention of doing we often don't we often don't do those things because it's scary and it feels gross sometimes and but if you can do it in a safe place with proper supports and um, structure it creates confidence in how we show up in the world and how we communicate and how we create our brand like i do it from an angle of using your personal trials and tribulations to define the values that you bring to your brand. And that's what makes you unique, right? So for me, also, the, the the other piece for me from the confidence piece is that I think being involved in sports is one of the reasons why I survived the things that I did is because it gave me an outlet, it gave me something outside of my head. And it helped me to see what i was capable of from from just like a <laughs> brute force <laughs> power perspective like okay i couldn't i couldn't lift this last week or i couldn't bike this far last week so you have concrete evidence that you are getting better at something and that builds confidence you know
0: totally totally yeah. I um, I didn't play a ton of sports as a kid, but I'm my son is gonna play a sport all the way through because I'm like, man, I see how beneficial it is for people. Because if you, you know, we all struggle with confidence at different parts in our in our business, but that can make or break a business. It makes or break how you put yourself out there, what price you ask for, everything. Um, and there's obviously like strategies and things that go along with it too, which is why I think education and uh, coaching is so important because if you can see yourself making those steps forward, I'm, I'm getting better at sales, I'm getting better at marketing, then that confidence continues to grow too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when I saw the parallel between what I was doing in my business related to my, like it was parallel with my athletic pursuits, like, oh, I'm so confident doing all this stuff. Like I know that I'm capable If I if I practice and I learn the skill and I do that. I'm like, oh, why am I not doing that? in my business it's the same thing you know you do you do this you learn this you 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 read this book you you get in the room with this other person and your your confidence is built or you build it up and it's it's a constant evolution but that's what moves the needle on on how successful you are
0: how successful you want to be
1: however you define that
0: totally you said something to me that was like it feels so much better to be proactive instead of reactive in my business. And I think that that's the thing too, is, is we think that there's not a level of having to be proactive and having to learn new skills to move forward and are just like, it's easy to outsource why something's not working. It's the recession. It's the economy. It's no one's booking weddings right now. Like it's so easy to put that control on someone else when, There's obviously some things that we can't always control, but learning new skills and putting yourself out there and gaining confidence and taking action, like those are things that we can control and they do make so much of a difference. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And action builds confidence. So rather than being a reacting to what your situations are or the cards you've been dealt, you're being proactive in choosing which cards you want. Like the card, the the deck is not. It's not like upside down. You're like you can see all the cards. You got to pick which one you want and do something with that card. You know, I'm not a card player. That was a weird metaphor for me to pull out. But
0: <laughs> I love that. And I and I do think like that pivotal moment for you when you chose to leave a relationship and move and all these things. You were like, I can pick a different card. You know, like. Yeah. It's such a huge moment when, when you have that realization that you can choose something different. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: think it's the, yeah, it's the center of everything. The start of, the start of the next thing when you realize like, yeah, the only thing I can control is me. And so I'm going to control this by choosing this thing.
0: Yeah, totally. It's empowering. Well, so you just started something new. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um it's maybe a podcast. podcast? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm being too coy. Like, so tell us about your podcast, Bobby. I like coy.
1: Let me tell you about my podcast. <laughs> yeah, so Okay, so I said this, I think I said this to you the other day that I feel like if Barbara Walters was a therapist, so she's a she's a big journalist right or was a big journalist uh and so my podcast is me like interviewing some really amazing photographers industry leaders big wigs if you will and like mining their stories like sitting down with them and being like when did this happen a, co- a conversation kind of similar to what we're having here but really um digging into like when when did something shift for you what did that look like what happened And then, like, so the metaphor of my tilt and shift, so like when your framework tilts and you shift your perspective. (laughs) I'm so proud of the title of it.
0: (laughs) I love it. It applies to so many things. Double entendre, right? I'm using that word, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, but for me, like, that's been what's really fulfilling in my own life is like seeing like, Oh yeah, like that was a big, that was a fork in the road. And I chose this one, like being able like having that hindsight and looking back the piece that is missing in the, in in, like, they're not just motivational interviews. They, the, I want to be able to help people see when they're at the fork in the road. Because we can see it from hindsight, right? We're like, oh yeah, that this thing sort of just showed up and then I, like I just realized that I had choices and I moved. Like I, I want to go back to that time and and be more clear. And so the the first episode, like the first, uh, each episode is two pieces. So the first piece is the interview with the inspirational person. The second episode is I go through their our conversation with a little fine tooth comb and we I go through the, the junctures that they talk about and then I create little coaching prompts and activities and I present that in the second part of the episode, which is really fun because then I get to be like coach and therapist and and like invite my listeners to like walk through okay here's what you can do in this situation here's how you can practice this skill here's how this is actually something that you can learn and here's how you can go to learn it so it's not just like a you know those posters on the wall that's like shows like a blue whale and it's like strength like yeah <laughs> no like here's here's how you build strength like here's actually you no build. you're strong and here's how to be <laughs> stronger
0: yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah it's been so fun That's amazing. Um, and I love that format. I'm so excited to keep hearing the episodes coming out.
1: You may have had a bit of an influence on that format.
0: Zero. <laughs> 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 um, okay. But taking that format and, you know, we are having... A conversation with an inspiring photographer, which is you. Um, <laughs> what would you What would you say are some of the coaching takeaways? What would you want people to apply from your story that could help them in, at their juncture?
1: Ooh. Well, one that we don't, um, we don't have to be ruled by our feelings. We can instead be curious about them. That was a huge one for me in my business because my business was bringing up a lot of feelings, like feelings of being scared that I was going to fail or people don't like me or I'm not as good as somebody else or all of that, all of that really gross survival-based amygdala, fear, armpit sweating sort of stuff. (laughs) Um, But realizing that I – what's that? I
0: was just going to say like our um, – Biology does not want us running businesses. Our bodies are like, no.
1: <laughs> it totally doesn't. That's a really good point. Because relying on someone else, you know, like like working for a corporation or a, a, like being a grocery store clerk is much quote unquote safer than putting yourself out there. Right. And having, and I held on, I held on to my job as a dietitian for a long time because I was so friggin' scared. On one hand, I was super confident in my, in my like business of what I was doing, but I wasn't ready to deal with the fear that I was experiencing, which led me like me being like, again, ignoring my feelings. So when I started asking myself, okay, what is this? I know I have the evidence that I can survive. I have survived. What is... Sometimes people don't like asking what's the worst that can happen because the worst that can happen is pretty bad, right? And so if we acknowledge it, it's pretty scary, you know, like losing people or homes or um, acknowledging that that was, that was a feeling. But the evidence was that that was quite unlikely. And so I was basing my business choices based on, on the minute possibility that something might happen against the multiple years of success I was experiencing. And this is, I think this is a really big one for lots of people because lots of us kind of do this, that we're a side hustle. And you had in your podcast, um, you talked about the stages of business Mm -hmm. where we we stay in that, the side hustle, for a long time because we're scared shitless, right? We're scared that that the what we don't know is scarier than what we currently know. But we can't, what I realize is that I can't, you can't make decisions for your future based on where you are right now. You have to have, you have to think about what do I want my future to look like? What do I want to experience? And make a decision with that mindset. Even though well, see, my dogs agree. I don't know if you can hear them, but they're barking right now. <laughs> so when I realized that that these feelings, they're here, they're valid, are they are they uh realistic? Or like what is the amount of realism that's in there against the amount of realism that's in my business? And what do I want my future to look like? So if I can think about what my future would look like and what would that person tell me to do now, and that person would tell me to quit my frigging day job because there are many more things. Thanks for walking me through this because I was like, where am I going with this? Oh, this is it. And I have a sign on my wall that said, what would your 90-year-old self tell you to do? And so this is thinking about yourself as a 90-year-old. Would your 90-year-old be stoked for you if you stayed working the part-time job that you hated or would they be stoked for you that you believed in yourself and you took a chance on your heart's work
0: yes i love that that future self future self journaling future self coaching it can be so powerful so that's an amazing yeah. takeaway from your story for people to to take back. So if you haven't done that before, I mean, you can do this in a journal. You can process it out loud with a friend. But thinking, yeah, do you usually think to your 90-year-old self or do you think like a few years ahead when you're doing this or kind of both?
1: I think with the with the bigger choices, like when things are kind of really big, um, like where I want to live or like what do I want to, people to remember me for? Um, what impact do I do I want to have? It's my 90-year-old self. And then, for the for the smaller ones, like how much do I want to charge? Like how much do I want to raise my prices this year? It's kind of my five years from now, because yeah. I'm not going to get to my five-year goal if I don't do something about it today.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. I love thinking about like um, like lifestyle goals to a few years in the future of. I want to be taking a month off or I want to have another kid or I want this or I, you know, I want to see my family more or my mom will be aging and I want to spend, you know, like thinking that and having something that really is motivating to me with those like price raise kind of things. Cause you're like, oh yeah, that's, I have to raise my prices if I want those things, you know, or I have to. Yeah.
1: It becomes really granular. Like when you look at,
0: oh, I would like to make 300 grand.
1: Oh, I'm charging $2,000 a wedding. Hmm. And rather than like chastising yourself and being like, well, oh, there's no, there's no, oh, I'll never be able to do that. Ask yourself, what do I need to do to do that? And then the answer is clear and there's no judgment. Like, you're just curious. Okay, so if I want to make 300, hmm, what would that look like? Okay, I'd have to take 20 people at this number, uh, blah, blah, blah. Like, and it just becomes a really easy conversation rather than someone beating you up because you're not currently doing it or it seems so far away.
0: Yeah totally um well bobby can you charge luxury prices as a documentary photographer
1: i have recently learned <laughs> 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 that indeed you indeed you can contrary to the limiting beliefs that are screaming <laughs> screaming in my limbic system
0: you can you can it's shocking <laughs> it's shocking you're not fine art and you're still charging good amount for your wedding photography yeah mind-blowing it is
1: (laughs) but you know what you know what really helped me to understand that it was possible because i have like all of the reasons not to right i'm not quote-unquote luxury or fine art i i live in a really tiny town there's 10,000 people live here i'm in canada Canada, Canada, that's here. Canada doesn't do stuff like that. Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no one around me, quote unquote, the market isn't doesn't support that. So there's all sorts of reasons. So again, this is the being curious. So I looked at all the reasons why I couldn't do it, and then I flipped them around and was like, "But what if? What if I could? What would it look like? What would I have to do if?" I wanted this to happen it's possible how would i do it and i figured that out and it is possible
0: (laughs) yes yes it is um well i'm so glad that you were a guest on the dangerous creatives podcast today um if people want to connect with you where can they find your work where can they hang out with you how can they listen to your podcast all of that
1: um the tilt or it's at tilt and shift podcast it is on Instagram and it's on iTunes and Spotify. The Tilt and Shift Photography Podcast. Uh, my wedding account is Barbarich Photo, B-A-R-B-A-R-I-C-H Photo, and my family one is Documentary Family Photo. Just to be very like very direct, like this is what I do because <laughs> I kept people getting people wanting mini mini sessions. I'm like, this is not mini session photo. This is documentary family photo. <laughs> So, those are my two instrument grammar accounts. Um, my coaching um, website is bobbybeducation.com. That's B O B B I B education.com. I just loaded a bunch of online learning, like one hour sessions on uh, pricing, profit, and website reviews and portfolio reviews, and just an open ended coaching call. I do a thing called shoot shadowing for people who really want to learn how to. I kind of soft land it with candid photography. And then we move into documentary photography. So um, you give me access to your Lightroom catalog and we go through photos like we go through your whole day and we talk about how to make how to make more storytelling images, like where you can be, how to shift things. Uh, and that's really fun. I love doing that. I love most that. of my most of my coaching is around people who are interested in documentary, but it's certainly not ex- exclusive to that.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you for being on today. And definitely make sure you go and connect with Bobby. And thank you for listening to the Dangerous Creatives podcast. It means a lot that you keep tuning in, that you keep leaving reviews. Makes me so happy every time that you leave one. Actually, this is a funny story. And Bobby knows this. I um, (laughs) tried to, I was like, my husband hadn't left an iTunes review yet. And so I was like, Andrew, will you leave a podcast review for me (laughs) (laughs) i'll be honest i asked him to um and so he did because he's a sweet husband and he went in but he didn't put his like a screen name in there and it auto assigned cougar boobies as his (laughs) screen name for for his review which he was like horrified when i was like cougar boobies where did
1: it even come from did he did he figure out where that came from is that something he had when he was like 21 years old
0: No, I, our theories are either his brother got in and changed his like Apple ID a long time ago and he never caught it. Or like iTunes actually does randomly assign screen (gasps) names when you leave reviews if you don't put your own (laughs) name in there. (laughs) So I don't know, (laughs) Tyler, little brother, if you're listening, that was (laughs) was a good one.
1: (laughs) He needs to put on a license plate.
0: (laughs) Cougar boobies. (laughs) Anyways, that's our sign off for today. (laughs) Thanks, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kristen. This episode was produced and edited by the lovely Jen Madigan Creative. Music for this episode was written and recorded by Jamie Lono and Shammy D. Thanks for being part of our Dangerous Creatives podcast community, and we'll see you again next time.